So what are we going to talk about today? Ball pythons. Ball pythons. You're not talking into the mic. Ball pythons. That's better. Okay. Okay. I'm like sucking on a microphone. Well, you got to like actually touch it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. My mustache is poking. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Here we go. Welcome to Heart to Bark a podcast for people who love their animals and want to learn more about them. I am your host, Dr. Mark. Come, sit, and stay tuned as we talk about the health and well-being of our furry, scaly, and even feathery friends. Welcome back, everybody. This is Dr. Mark. We are having another episode on exotics, another exciting episode. We had a lot of questions about this one, and I brought Barry Romano back on to talk about ball pythons. And so I'm just going to have him take over a little bit and just explain what ball pythons are, if they're poisonous or not, and kind of go from there. Yes, um, so starting off, um, snakes are venomous, not poisonous. Oh, that is correct. <laughs> I did that for you to do a little bit of education there. Um, but uh, ball pythons, is they're very common. It's probably the most bred and bought snake. Uh, there's tons of morphs. I mean, if you go to a reptile show, I mean, geez, I mean, it gets into the 200s, 300s of, you know, all sorts of ball pythons. So they're, they're pretty well known and common. Awesome. So... Is that more from a color scheme? Is that more from, like, what's making them different? Yes, so there are different genetics and uh, bloodlines. So, and it's mostly done for the colors. You know, people are attracted to the yellow colors, the whites, um, the patterns. They've even got it down to where they can put smiley face patterns on them. So it's... Oh, wow. Yeah. So. Wow. So how long can these guys live? So, you know, if we're having some new owners new to reptiles snakes in general how long would you expect to have one of these i would be prepared to have them to 30 years or a little bit above that um if they're properly kept um these guys are pretty forgiving of poor husbandry so even though if they're kept improperly i mean they can still survive but you know you got to keep in mind they're not thriving but if they're thriving these guys can go 30 or well past 30 oh wow and and size wise are we looking at you know, a little, little six inch snake or is this thing, what, what's it going to be like? Probably your common adult size is going to be about five foot. Five feet. Five feet. Yes. Wow. Yep. What, what would you say is probably one of the longest ones in captivity that's, you know, been recorded that you know of? Um, that I know of, you know, I'm not too sure, but I know for sure it's over uh, five feet. And, you know, I think that the oldest two has made it past well 30. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's a big enclosure. It is, yes. So, so yeah, moving into that, how where do you keep these guys? What is their housing situation? So, depending when you buy them, so if you know you buy a hatchling or if you know you buy it from somebody else and they're already large, but you know, you can definitely start out with about a 20 gallon and this is for a fairly small snake. And once you start to get, you know, into 1 feet, 2 feet, then that's when you definitely want to move into 40 gallon 40 gallon should be your minimum. Your goal should be to move into something long-term that's large. So like me personally, I keep my ball python. She's five years old, and I would say she's probably about three to four feet, and I have her in a six-foot enclosure. And, you know, it gives her enough room to stretch out. So you just always want to plan for the future 
for something larger. Right. And so definitely if they're going to get pretty big like that, are you constructing this enclosure yourself or do they make enclosures that are six foot or whatever? So, you know, it's some places do, uh, but they have to be custom order, but they'll have your original four by two by two, like, you know, Dubia Roaches sells them. You just have to find the right person, but they're out there. Awesome. So whenever you start, you're starting with kind of more of a terrarium. This is almost like a fish tank with glass wall type setting. Do, do these guys need to be, you know, you always hear about chameleons needing to have open sides for breathing. Is that needed for snakes? So, you know, ventilation is important um, and it's a little bit harder to achieve that with a glass enclosure, but it can work. But, you know, if you're using a glass enclosure, which, you know, some people use a fish tank and they just use a screen top, or you can buy something specially made for reptiles with front doors rather than top mesh. But the issues that you run into with these is it's hard to hold humidity with the glass enclosure. So you have to seal the top, but then you're eliminating ventilation. So, you know, you got to pick your battle there, but that's why it's recommended that you go custom so you can put ventilation on the sides that way that humidity is not escaping upwards. Up the top. Yeah. That makes sense. And so with these guys, you know, you've got your enclosure. Do they, you know, getting them out and enjoying the snake themselves, do they prefer to be up at night? Do they like to sleep during the night and stay up during the day? Uh, you know, where? when is the best time to really kind of not mess up their cycle? When is the best time to spend time with these guys and get them out of their housing? So, and this can be done during the day because, you know, a lot of people think that they're nocturnal animals, but they're not. They're considered uh, crepuscular. I always mess up that word. I don't know. <laughs> you can correct me on that. But so, but what that means is that they're more active during twilight. They're not necessarily just, you know, you have to keep them in the dark 24-7 because they can be acting, uh, active during the day. Um, and it's actually encouraged to give them the resources to be active during the day. So if you want to handle them during the day, which, you know, feeding is recommended during the day, you don't want to feed at night. So do they need anything for stimulation? Um, yes. So, you know, for sure, once you get into furnishing the enclosure. So a lot of people, you know, think that these guys are not climbers now. They're not, you're, they're not tree dwelling reptiles or, you know, going to be climbing all over the place like some other reptiles. But if you give them the opportunity to climb, they will. So it's very important that when you have the enclosure, you don't just think about length. You think about height okay. as well, too, because these guys will climb. Perfect. Well, let's move into that. So, you know, what are the substrates we use? What are the furnishings that we do put into these enclosures for these guys? If you want to just kind of take over on that. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, for a lot of reptiles, people just think they come from the desert. But, you know, these guys, um, like kind of when we talked about bearded dragons, they come from different areas. So, you know, they can be found in uh, rainforests and the savanna from the coast of Senegal to the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, so they're found in different places. So to mimic that environment with substrates, you can mix, you know, multiple things like cypress mulch, coconut products, leaf litter, topsoil, barks, and mosses. And you want to try to achieve a substrate that's going to be able to hold tunnels because these guys are known for burrowing. That's something you can do for stimulation as well is you can either build them burrows or let them, you know, build their own burrows. But a lot of, you know, I always build 
the burrows for mine just so that, you know, they can explore them and you can make them a little bit better than they can. <laughs> right, right. So so with that, how thick does that substrate need to be? So if you have a snake that's five feet long, how how long, I mean, how deep would you need to make your substrate to give them the ability to do that? Um, so about five to eight inches and just depending how large your enclosure is, but you know, you'd want something around that range, five to eight inches to hold humidity, to hold burrows. And then if you're going to put plants in there, um, that will help with that as well too. Yeah. So almost having a live, you know, a live enclosure yeah, with so, live plants, things yeah, like that. A whole little ecosystem in there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So what about the furnishings? You know, we kind of touched on that. You know, what what do you give these guys for entertainment? What, you know, I mean, they need to be stimulated as well. So these ball pythons, you know, they don't want to just lay there. Yeah. So you can do, you know, these guys, they're pretty thick snakes. So you want to provide them with, you know, thick branches or logs uh, that they can explore. I like to always build like rock hides or rock caves that they can go in and out of. And something really cool that you can do is you can make them an above ground hide. So if you have like a custom enclosure, you can make like a little box of, you know, whatever you want to make it out of and you hang it at the top of the enclosure. And they've been studied that sometimes rather than burrowing, they like to hide in higher areas at night. So, mm-hmm. and it's almost like they're practicing a hunting behavior. Wow. And that would be, you know, in the rainforest, they could go poo really high. Yes. Yeah. So, so it almost sounds like if you like doing construction or projects, yes. this could almost be just as fun as having the animal itself Yeah, because you can create yeah. what you want. It's definitely a big project. And that's the thing, you know, a lot of people ask you, you know, what benefit do you get from keeping a reptile? They don't love you back, you know. So I always tell them it's the project, this watching them thrive and you built this, you know, ecosystem for them. And right. that's, that's what I, the pleasure that you get from it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So just moving in a little bit in more detail on, you know, the temperatures and the lighting that's required for these guys, you know, where do, where do they want to be? Do they want to be kind of, like you said, desert animals or they want to be more tropical rainforest type? You know, what, what, are, what are they liking from a temperature lighting and, and even going to humidity if you want at this point? Yep. So, you know, you should always have different temperatures in the enclosure. So you have your cool side, your hot side, your burrows, your humidity. So your cool side and then, you know, including your burrows should kind of keep it around 80 degrees. And, you know, that can fluctuate. It doesn't have to be just at 80, but you want to keep it around that range. And your ambient temperatures should be about 82 to 89 degrees. Um, Again, that can fluctuate. And then your basking temperatures should be about 95 to 104 degrees. So and that's depending on the size of your snake. But the basking is pretty important because these guys are eating pretty large meals and they need to break them down. And that's where we go back to, I said, you know, feeding during the daytime so they can bask after they eat. Okay. So that's super important and even learned about that on the bearded dragon is these guys can't eat and then just go get cold. They're right. just going to slow down and stop. Right. They, they, yeah. You can actually get into problems with that. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, whatever they eat and it doesn't break down and just kind of sits there and rots. Yep. Um, so. Wow. And um, and also these guys, they, they don't brewmate like, you know, a lot of reptiles. So lowering their temperature when it gets cold outside is not necessary. And always recommend doing overhead heating rather than under tank heating, which a lot of people think that, 
you know, a heat mat is better, but you always want to do overhead. Overhead. So what, what do we use? So moving into the lighting, you know, we have the UVB lights, UVA, what, what is recommended for these guys? Yes. So there's a, there's a lot of myths with ball pythons. Another one is that they don't need lights. And where that comes from is, is that, you know, a lot of these snakes comes from, they come from breeders. So they have them, you know, in a bunch of racks, which, you know, it's, it makes sense if you're going to sell the snake because it wouldn't make sense to have a bunch of six foot enclosures at your shop. Correct. Um, correct. But, you know, a lot of people think that they just need to be in a rack without lights because that's how they were they were sold to them, but these guys actually can show, you know, their behavior, their behavior changes when they're provided with UVV and UVA. So you definitely should still provide that just like you would to any other reptile. So you're still recommending the Arcadia, Acadia lights? Yes, absolutely. Yes. So, and you don't want to do something as strong like we would do for something else. So even a 6%, you know, a T5, 6%, about 20 inches up high, or you can do a T8 if it's going to be closer to your snake. Um, You can do a shade dweller. You know, there's different options where you can provide it at a safe because these guys do prefer it a little bit dull, but you know, you want to give them the option to experience UVA because they can see that. And, you know, a lot of people will provide them with just a red light, which I don't recommend you use a red light for any reptile for, you know, 12 hours a day. They're just, those lights were made with the theory that reptiles can't see color, which is false. So a lot of people, you'll see them, they'll have red lights for their ball python, but you want full spectrum lighting for these guys. Correct. Yes. And, you know, definitely reach out, um, you know, to anybody that's knowledgeable with this, but uh, reach out to us as well. Let's move into, you know, their, their water, their humidity, you know, you worry about, you know, scale rot and things like that. If it's, if it's too humid, you know, what do we offer these guys? Do they drink out of a bowl? Do they drink off of plants, you know, like chameleons do what, what's going on in the water situation? So, you know, you should always provide these guys with a large enough bowl that they can soak in because they are soakers and they do drink out of the bowl as well. So, you know, as they grow, you just have to provide bigger bowls because these guys, I mean, they love to soak. They'll soak after they eat. They soak when they're about to shed. So providing that is very important. And then as far as your humidity, you want to keep it around the 60 to 70 percent range. Your low is 50. Um, as long as you keep it above that, and depending on what type of enclosure you have and your ventilation. But these guys do need a little bit higher humidity because, again, they're not, you know, desert-dwelling animals. Correct. So. Correct. Well, and, and you, you know, you mentioned the substrate. That also helps hold humidity or hold moisture. Right. And so we'll do that, you know, definitely do that as well. Do you use humidifiers, foggers on these guys, or do you try to rely on bowls and substrate for that? So you have to be careful when you uh, use foggers, you know, if done properly, but they're just known to lead to upper respiratory infections and and they have to be used properly, you know. So you want to use them either when all the lights are off. So if you have it on timers, what I like to do is if I'm using foggers, I'll set the fogger to turn on 30 minutes prior to the lights so it's not too hot and humid. And then you can set them to come on at night when the lights go off. So you don't want to have them on during the day when the light it just gets too humid, too hot, and that mixture usually leads to problems like upper respiratory infections. And we do. We see a lot of upper respiratories in these ball pythons. And, and you know, with, with that, most 
problems with reptiles in general is husbandry. And so this is why many of our podcasts are going to be on husbandry itself, because if you can eliminate husbandry issues, you're going to eliminate pushing 90, 95% of any problems you have with reptiles. And so definitely make sure that you uh, stay on top of their husbandry, their humidity, their lighting, and things like that. So we've gone through all the enclosures, the setup, humidity, lighting. Now, what do they eat? So these guys, they're probably the pickiest reptiles that I know. If you feeding some, if you feed them something when they're young, they that's what they want. And you can try to switch it up. Some of them do well, but you know, it's it's hard. But you know, as far as what you can feed them, you can do rats, mice, chicks, quail. Quail is a pretty popular one. They seem to do well, but it's mostly rats. Um, you know, and you can do frozen thawed or you can do live. Uh, just you be careful when you do live. You want to make sure if the snake doesn't want it, you remove the rat or mice that you're feeding because they can attack the snake. And I've seen that multiple times. That or if you put two in there right. and they eat one and it yeah. starts digesting and then the other one comes and yes yeah wow so sources for these are, are these readily available is this something that you know you you have to search these out like, yes they are you can find them at your you know local stores but a lot of places will sell them online like rodent pro um i think that's pretty much everybody's go-to is rodent pro rodent pro yeah and there's breeders uh, there's some local breeders uh you just got to make sure you know it's a reliable source right and it, it almost seems like when you own a reptile, you are basically a construction person building an enclosure, mm. and then you're a breeder <laughs> of the food. You t- it's like the the actual animal is just a byproduct. It's just yes, there. Twenty like percent of the work. <laughs> yes, everything else is like growing or feeding or you know breeding the food and then building the enclosure. So it is definitely, but, but it's fun, you know I mean? And that's, that's, what's interesting about it. How often, how often do you feed these guys? Um, so it depends, you know, on their age. So if you're, and these guys are pretty prone to obesity, so you have to be careful how much you feed them, but adults should be fed on the average of every six weeks, but sometimes they can go longer. My ball python is currently on a three month hunger strike, but she hasn't lost any weight. You know, so there's no issue there. But I think the longest recorded hunger strike on the ball python is a year. One year. And, wow. And the snake didn't lose any weight. So that's the big thing. And, and we'll talk about this over and over and over on these reptile podcasts is get a scale, weigh them. If they're losing weight, there's a problem. If they're not losing weight, then many times they're metabolically doing okay. They're, it just may be so slow that they just don't need yeah. food. So Yeah. And when they're adults, I mean, they're eating pretty large prey. So again, super prone to obesity. So, you know, they'll they'll power feed if they need to if you keep offering, but again, I mean, you once they get to into adulthood, these guys can go months without eating and not have any issues. They're not like a California king snake. I mean, those guys eat eat eat, you know, but these guys are a lot different. Wow. Awesome. Well, Barry Thank you so much. Once again, we are going to try to put out quite a few exotic 
podcast. So we'll have uh, Barry Romano, uh, one of uh, my technicians here, and uh, he's full of knowledge on the exotic side for sure, among other things here for me at the clinic. But I appreciate you having you here today. Yes, I had a blast, man. Thank you for having me again. Yes, absolutely. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. We'll be bringing more of these to you. Uh, Y'all take care. Thank you. If you enjoyed listening to this type of content, then hit that subscribe button for new episodes every week. For more information about this podcast or printable PDFs, visit our website at drmark.vet. That's D-R-M-A-R-K dot V-E-T. And feel free to email us about new topics to put on the show at info at drmark.vet. Also, check out our social outlets like Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram to stay up to date with our activities. Thank you and have a great day.